the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 3. If you turn on TV, you'll start to notice that uh, campaign season uh, for 2022 is already in swing. I wanted to get a read on things nationally and statewide with one of the smartest minds on politics in our state. That smart mind belongs to one Constantine Corrard, sometimes known as CQ. He is the head and founder of Grassroots Partners, one of the smartest people I know, certainly when it comes to politics and public policy. Constantine, welcome back. I'm sorry it's been so long. You're very kind. Thanks for having me back. I want to have you, you know, when not just even-numbered years, so I'm just kind of pushing the envelope here. I know it's 2021, even though it's December. I think I got in right now. Mid-December. You're you're a rebel and always have been. Well, but, Constantine, I'm right, though. The ads are a little earlier than usual, it seems like. Maybe I'm wrong. You tell me. It's it's a strange time because every 10 years we do this redistricting, and so some of the things are well ahead of schedule. Um, so you're seeing ads in, in races where you're like, well, geez, that's not till next year. Yeah. Um, and other things are way behind schedule because ordinarily we'd have had maps five or six months ago, and we're still, you know, we're still probably ten days away from getting them. So there's a lot of candidates who can't even get out of the starting block because they don't know if they live in their district. Yeah, talk to so, spend spend some time with me on that. Uh, I, I have plenty of time if you do. I, I want to talk to me a little bit about the redistricting and 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 what that is looking like right now when it comes. Less to LD races, more to congressional races. Talk to me about what you're seeing. Well, and, and we're still, <laughs> they're on, I, boy, they've done probably at least a, a dozen. I was going to say probably 12, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, nearly the same on, on the question. So you'll do a batch of maps, and then people make comments. You'll say, okay, well, let's let's move this to here and that to there, and we'll start fresh with version 3.0, and then yeah. you'll take comments, and you'll say, okay, well, that wasn't really it. And so version 4.0, and. I know the latest legislative maps are version 12, 12.0, 12.1, and they, you know, and you want these districts to be about even in population. They still have districts that are off by 137,000. Yeah. So yeah. clearly we'll be seeing versions 13 and 14, and they say they want to be done by December 22nd. And basically what you've got is, and your, 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 your listeners probably already know this, but every 10 years we do the census, mm-hmm. and then based on the census we reapportion congressional seats because it's the population of the U.S. divided into 435 House seats, and each state figures out how many seats they get, and then they have to draw new maps because uh, the courts have ruled that the way the Constitution is written is each, when you draw the new map, the population of every congressional district is even, like mm-hmm. plus or minus one person. Mm-hmm. Like, so when you see a map go around my house and go to your house, it's because they had to really, you know, they really had to make it even, even. Yep. Legislatively, not so much. It could be off by three, four, five thousand people. The courts seem to say that's okay, but again, we've got 30 districts. Arizona grows like a weed. Population spikes, uh, but not in the same places, not evenly, and so you've got to start over. And what tends to happen is the Maricopa County districts get smaller because they're getting more more dense. The rural districts get bigger because they still need to each have the same amount of population. Um, and so the map making process, which is now controlled by a, uh, a so-called independent redistricting commission, um, caused in part by a late census count. 
uh, is running really late in the year, and we don't we still don't know who lives where. Yeah, and so the only thing we can do is just wait and see. Probably another what couple of weeks at the at the ideal, but maybe maybe not even maybe waiting till January possibly, huh? They've said December twenty second, and you're really getting to the point where I mean, and then you'll and then the court cases start. Yeah, um, but. If you're a candidate, your signatures by law have to be filed sometime between early March and early April. Right. And so at some point then the courts will just say, okay, good enough. Go ahead and go do your 22 elections, and we're going to continue these lawsuits and and fiddle with the district lines for 2024. But we've got to have certainty, and and to the degree folks have to get their paperwork filed and get their petitions out there and start gathering signatures and doing all those things. Um, Some some of this can be fairly monumental, too. I mean, someone could wake up. Uh, could go to sleep being represented by Greg Stanton and wake up being represented by David Schweiker, right? It could could go. be, right? Sometimes sometimes dreams come true. Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, that would be an improvement, of course. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes it goes the other way, too. We'll keep our eyes on that, and I'll, I'll keep close to you as this develops, Constantine. The biggest races in Arizona, I guess, are probably Governor and senator, and it's looking increasingly like a crowded field for attorney general, too. Do the Democrats have a, a slight leg up? I hear this from the donor community sometimes, Constantine, that the Democrats seem to do a little bit of a better job, maybe in some cases even a much better job, because they just don't have these battle royals in the primary um, that the Republicans tend to tend to have with three, four, five, six, seven, eight candidates all vying for the same vote. Is that is that a problem Republicans have or is it overstated? Um, it is a it's a blessing in disguise. OK, for Republicans. <laughs> OK, um, it, it in a in a heavily Democratic state where the Democrat is expected to win. You know, 10, 10 Democrats will compete against each other for the right to be that Democrat that's expected to win. And there'll be like one or two Republicans saying, well, I'll give it a shot. Pick me. Um, and then they go in there like David and Goliath. Mm-hmm. What we have in Arizona is a red state. Um, it's more purple as of late. Uh, but Republicans are, are going to be favored in a governor's race. And so there'll be more Republicans looking to be governor, willing to take the chance to get out there and run. Uh, Democrats historically have kind of eliminated primaries. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll have one candidate for governor and one candidate for secretary of state, one candidate for treasurer, and, and that's it because they need to kind of marshal their resources. And most of them expect to lose. But if they get a blue wave, if they, something good happens, then all of a sudden you'll get, you'll get a Katie Hobbs or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so to a degree, it's a sign of Republican strength that there are a lot of candidates. Uh, they're all raising decent money. Um, in spite of all the competition, uh, but what you see this year is after the, you know, the the year Democrats had in 2020, you've got three basically top tier, you know, serious contenders on the Democrat side mm. for governor. Mm. That's three times more than they usually have. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. So maybe when you see, if you're a Republican and you see a whole bunch more Republicans vying in a primary, it's a sign that that's an expected R win, a, a, an expected R win at the general. Correct, correct. And it's one of the reasons why if we're in a, in a heavily Democrat district, we tend to discourage primaries because are you all really going to spend yeah. your money knocking on each other for the right to get slaughtered in November? I was like, just going to say to get 20 percent of the vote in the general yeah, let's, election. Let's work it out, yeah. save our money for November yeah. and go do something good there. You mentioned the name Katie Hobbs. I um, I'm not a fan here, uh, just putting my cards on the table. I thought 
when the Arizona Republic, also not a fan, <laughs> had its two liberal columnists of record, E.J. Montini, also not a fan, and um, and Lori Roberts, a little bit more of a fan, saying she has to drop out. I thought, oh boy, how do you go against that? How how do you maintain a race when when the two most prominent liberal columnists in the in the in the newspaper on your in your party are telling you you can't do it? Is she is she a dead person candidate walking? No, and and you know, listen, the report, the the editorial writers, you know, Montini and Roberts, um, to their credit, recognize that they need to show some level of consistency. Uh-huh. They can't turn a blind eye to what she did, knowing how they were treating a Republican who does anything, you know, ten percent as bad. Uh-huh. Um, at the same time. You haven't heard a steady drumbeat. They're not still saying it. They did the one column. Oh, that's a good point. It's go. not like it's our pile. <laughs> no, no, here's yeah. the one column. Yeah. You got to go there. You see, I'm consistent, and now I've moved on to whatever my next my next thing, which will be, you know, let's get sarcastic and go after Matt Sam and yeah. Kerry Lake or whatever. Yeah. So they had to do it. They did the minimum. Um, Katie Hobbs clearly isn't going anywhere. She's on the apology tour, um, and. You know, there are groups saying, you know, she – very few groups are saying she should drop out. Most groups are saying the Democrat Party should ask her to drop out. And oh. I'm like, well, why don't you ask her to drop <laughs> yeah. out? No, it's not really for me to do. Yeah. But I, I wish there was leadership in the state to ask her to drop out. So she's she's wounded. It does make her a, a problem for the Democrats in the general election because race is – you know, basically dividing us up demographically is such an important component of the Democrat strategy that if you've sort of forfeited the high ground when it comes to crying, you know, you're a racist, you're a sexist, you discriminate. Um, if you take that out of the Democrat playbook uh, in a general election, that doesn't leave Hobbs an awful lot left. Yeah, no, they, yeah, no, she's deprived of her key talking point at this point. Yeah. Uh, let me do this. Let me, do you have a little time or do you have to run? You betcha. Thank you. Uh, let me take a commercial break. And then let's talk about how vulnerable Mark Kelly is and what you're kind of sensing are the top issues people are interested in. And I'd love to get your sense of the national scene. Half the people I say uh, I talk to say 2022 is going to be great for Republicans. The other half say don't jump so fast. And uh, I don't know anyone, however, who says it's going to be a doubling down of Democrat wins. So let's get your take, uh, Constantine Quirard's take on all of that when we come back. Constantine Quirard from Grassroots Partners is our guest, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Seth. I'm delighted to be joined, um, rejoined uh, by Constantine Quirard, sometimes known as CQ. He is the head of Grassroots Partners here. In Arizona, Constantine, what are the issues? And if it's fair to say, you probably know a little bit more on the Republican side. But either way, what are the issues most most dominating the town halls and the meetings that the candidates are going to these days? What and what 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 are the candidates speaking to the most that seem to get the voters' attention or the potential voters' attention the most? It's probably a sign of just kind of how ineffective government has been over the last umpteen years. Uh Um, But they're not much different than they were two years ago, four years ago, six years ago. I mean, just um, obviously, you know, the economy and jobs will always be an important thing. Um, 
if things are bad, people always need them better. If things are good, they're worried that, you know, that they'll stop. Um, education is always I was just going to say, issue. is education making a comeback? Yeah. Um, education is always it, – it's interesting because education is still a big issue, but the um, – what it is about education that the voters are caring more about is changing. For a lot of years when we talked to education, it was just funding, funding, mm-hmm. funding, funding, right. all funding. And Democrats love to talk about funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, they vote against it, but they love to campaign on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a state like Arizona where they've increased funding by billions of dollars – um, over the near-unanimous objections of legislative Democrats, by the way. Um, it's really not a funding issue so much anymore as people are starting to say, okay, well, we're still worried about results. We're interested in choice because you see the funding go up and up and up, and you're like, well, why is my kid's school still broken? Like, why why is my kid still behind all those other kids at that other school? Uh, can I go to there instead? Oh, sorry, they have a waiting list, you know. Um, so school choice becomes a big thing. Curriculum itself is becoming a, a bigger thing because at its at its fringe, the, the left is, is kind of radicalizing K-12 education curriculum, kind of like they, they did for, for colleges several decades ago. And so parents are awake. Education is a hot issue, but it's not so much funding anymore um, as it is curriculum, parental involvement, school choice, uh, you know, Scholarship, educational scholarship against the ESAs. So um, it's it's an environment where now all of a sudden you have Republicans more eager to talk about education than Democrats are, and and that makes it interesting. So uh, before before I go uh, beyond Arizona with you, Constantine, talk to me a little bit about Mark Kelly and his vulnerability. Does it depend on the candidate? Has he gotten and been lucky? Is he a pretty strong incumbent? How do you? How do you adjudge that race? Um, you can judge a candidate several ways. Financially, he'll be a very strong incumbent. Uh, the Democrats have both parties have just a handful of seats they're trying to defend, probably on the order of four to six, depending on the the national environment. Um, there's tons of money on the left for for political campaigns. So Mark Kelly, I think they had 140 million dollars all told between his campaign and, and the group supporting him. Holy cow! He'll he'll be fine on Monday. Um, Personality-wise, he's never been the most personable, but, you know, they kind of were able to kind of wrap him up and keep him in hiding in part because of COVID and in part because, you know, he's not sort of a gifted uh, politician. Um, He doesn't have sort of the the retail skills that people who are good at politics have. Uh, And so it was easier to kind of keep him away from the press, not have to answer questions, and just let the national environment and, and McSally's weaknesses kind of lift him to victory. He won't have that now. He's the incumbent. He's got the voting record. And where cinema works hard to kind of cultivate this maverick um, appearance, Kelly is a party-line voter. The party machine picked him. Uh, they would have run his wife if she if she had been able to go. Sure. Uh, they picked Kelly instead. They said, you're the guy. They cleared the field. They funded him. They ran him. They managed his message. And now he's there kind of doing what they tell him to do. And that does not mean even attempt to appear independent. So that is definitively is, not the case with the Arizona senior senator. No, she's working hard to cultivate yeah. that image. And, yeah. and I and I don't know that it's as genuine as some people give her credit for, but she is working hard. By the way, I agree with lumps. you on that. I agree with you yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah. But she's taking her lumps with, with Democrat primary voters who are all mad, like Republicans used to be with McCain. Like, we've got to primary her. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I, I've been on the let's primary McCain side. <laughs> yeah, you got I 20%, right? Yeah. I know how that turns out. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> 
in Kelly's case, you know, he needs to keep a united party because he knows he's going into a tough election year, more of a red wave than a blue wave. Um, and so he is voting party line on a lot of bad stuff. So if you get a good Republican, um, you know, Kelly is definitely a vulnerable candidate. Now, if I can turn, since we're starting there anyway, he represents, you know, something that we think of as a more national position. Talk to me about what you're seeing nationwide right now. And, of course, you know, uh, we always have to state that, you know, several months is an eternity in politics, never mind 11 months. But talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing nationally in the mood, Republican, Democrat. Yeah, yeah. A year's a long time or 11 months is a long time. At the same time, historically, the things we see the year before um, really do tend to hold up a year later. Uh, it gets to where it's too late to change people's general attitudes towards the party in charge. Um, so if, if things change, but they change by, you know, February, March, April, um, okay, then maybe that can adjust the national environment. If things aren't changing until August, September, October, then it's too late. So, you know, from that standpoint, the national environment right now is fairly good for Republicans. The map drawing process where they're redistricting um, should result in a, a net gain for Republicans in the House. So I think control of the House is very likely to come back to Republicans. The Senate is tough, but certainly gettable. Um, and, you know, then you start to pay attention to governor's races and legislatures. Um, and, you know, everything that shows up in terms of polling and generic ballots suggests a Republican year. Don't know how big of a Republican year, and of course, candidates matter. You run, and we've had we've had some great Republican years screwed up by really bad candidates. So we have to be careful that you know the sort of the oh I forget Christine whatever her last name was and Todd Aiken and some of these folks where you know you take winnable races and you're like man how do we blow that? Uh, well, you blew it in the primary. You know you 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 pick. Oh, the you mean the, the oh yes I know who you mean now the woman out of Delaware or something like that. Yeah, yeah, right, nice right, lady, not right, a witch, not right, a witch, right, but I can't remember her last name. Right. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, so, you know, there's, we, we have to be careful nationally that we pick the right candidates. And there's some risk. I mean, Herschel Walker in Georgia, um, popular, obviously, you know, universal name ID, um, but not insignificant baggage. Um, the kind of stuff the ordinary you look at and you say, okay, there's, you know, I forget all the details, but, um, you know, his, I think he has an ex-wife that will be happy to fill everybody in on the details. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's and there's some mental health issues and some stuff that he's he's been dealing with, and I think are under control, obviously. Um, but you'll look at that and say, "Wow, how's that going to play in a general election?" And are we really, are we sure? Because in Georgia, they seem to be sure. Can I uh, keep so, you one more segment and talk to talk to you a little bit about your thoughts on the Republican Party and minority voters and attracting more and more of them? Would you would you? Si, Beautiful. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Constantine Quirard, and we will be right back. Toot sweet. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Constantine Quirard has been very generous with his time. He of Grassroots Partners here in the Valley of the Sun. Constantine, um, Donald Trump, I think, without question, made some headway in outreach uh, in the uh, typically 
hard uh, to reach uh, sectors of the minority community when it came to voting for Republican candidates. Do you see that as kind of a one-off? Did he hit a ceiling, or do you think that uh, there's more potential to uh, more potential there? Definitely more potential. Um, and and again, the sort of the mitigating circumstances that at the same time that he was making that progress, um, you know, the media still was successfully able to kind of put him in this "you're a racist" mm-hmm. box, mm-hmm. Um, and there would be times when when Things would be said, you know, inartfully, and you're like, "Oh man, I wish you had said that different." Or, yeah, you know that 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 lets the media kind of do what it does to to kind of spin that person as as, as making them. Yeah, give give him some kindling to light some fires too. Yeah, yeah. and, and so you think about just how great he would have done if he had like nailed it, you know, if he had nailed the messaging the whole time. Yeah, um, and that tells you where the potential is because the fact of the matter is, once you, you know, when we we work with a lot of uh, we work with uh, candidates that are you know, African-American, Hispanic, um, also a lot of voter groups and all. Um, the folks that kind of awaken to, you know, if you're an African-American voter, you know, you were Republican since there was a Republican Party. Yep. And then Republicans blew it. Pretty much all the way to 1964. I, I like to yeah. say if you were an African-American looking for relief in a political party, you called the Republican Party. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we blew it for a while yeah. and we lost them. Yeah. And there's a history there that a lot of them don't necessarily know. A lot right. of most, most every voter frankly doesn't know. Right. Um, but as you awaken you can you return to that Republican party you're not leaving again. Mm-hmm. I mean you once once you figure out the con that's, that, that's been going on when you figure out the you know the the snow job that that they basically have have played on you um, you're you're fired up, you're angry, you're you're almost ready to kind of. Go That's out and a really good point. Once you're in, you you're in. We've got a customer yeah. for life. Yeah. Yeah, and so from that standpoint, um, whatever the ceiling was in the last election should become the floor for the next election, assuming the candidate does doesn't do something just incredibly stupid or or whatever. Um, so, you know, if if you used to have six percent, now you've got eight percent. Well, now we're going to start with eight percent, and we're going to go for ten percent. Let's get something in the double digits for goodness uh, sakes. Yeah. And that's oh, yeah. in the African American community. The Hispanic community, we've been in double digits for for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've been. I think, I think George W. was. Yeah, it's just since the, George the 40s. W. Forties, yeah. um, and, and 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 Donald Trump did very well yeah. with the Hispanic community yeah. in a lot of places because these are people for whom socialism is not an abstract concept. Correct. Um, a lot of these folks uh, have escaped countries or have families who are still trapped um, dealing with communists, socialists, Marxists. Um, and so it's not an abstract thing. When when they see the Democrat Party just embracing it wholeheartedly and making it part of their platform, well, that's an easy decision to yeah. make. Yeah, you know that's that's a little more important than just you know even school choice or cutting my property taxes. That's that's freedom. That's why we came to America. That's why we escaped. So uh, from that standpoint, um, there there is good growth. The Republican Party needs to do more always, um, and I think part of that is just to continue to show a variety of candidates. Um, it's not enough to talk to these communities. It really, really, really helps to have Hispanic candidates okay. where Republicans talking to Hispanic communities. Because if you think about it, if you grow up Hispanic and every time you meet an elected official, that elected official, uh, who's a, a Hispanic elected official, that elected official is a Democrat, yeah. then you think, oh, I must be a Democrat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you need exposure to, oh, no, that guy's a Republican. That's good, Democrat, that's fine. But, you know, there's, you know, 
now you know you're a, you're a free agent. You know, intellectually, you're a free agent to, to kind of pick a path because you're not you don't belong in one group or another group just because. And so, from that standpoint, we're seeing we're seeing good growth. And again, the issues favor us: commitment to life, school of choice, liberty, freedom, jobs. You know, all jobs and yeah. amen, brother. So. That, that's all going well. Constantine, this has been so unbelievably helpful. This is a great way to uh, begin our uh, political thinking as we head into a huge election year. Hope you'll stay close with us. I love I love learning from you. I will, man, and a uh, Merry Christmas. Happy you too. Year. Thank you. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year if we don't then. talk before then. Thank you, Constantine. All right, M- much yep. appreciated. Godspeed. Constantine Quirard from Grassroots Partners. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. I'm Seth Liebson. We will be right back. Oh, this presents an interesting question about whether it's a breakup song or a love song. I, it's ultimately a love song. It starts as a breakup. And then they rediscover each other and it ends up Pina Colada uh, Escape being a love song, even though it's called Escape. Yeah, interesting. It is it is categorized. It should be categorized as a love song, however. Welcome back to the Seth Limpson show. Uh, I've 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 long wanted to teach two courses in journalism, one on editorial writing or just writing, I suppose. Um, but the other on media bias, I would love to teach a course on media bias. And um, in that I don't, I'll just give you a perhaps concept to chew on for today. I woke up this morning turning on CBS as I am wont to do after, after you know my cup of coffee and checking emails and stuff. And the major news was that there was now an Omicron variant death, maybe the first in the world and in the UK. And video of Boris Johnson disheveled, giving a speech to the you know to Great Brit to the people of Great Britain on how vigilant they must. be. Be and how they're going to be doubling down on mitigation strategies and all that. And I was waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting for it, and it didn't happen. What was I waiting for? Well, what were the conditions under which this person died? Who was it? How? If you don't want a name, which I can understand, can I get an age? Can I get a vaccination status? No. The one thing you wanted to know, it does no real good. To know just that someone somewhere died with Omicron. And to give you an idea of how this story has spread like fire on dry grass. If you put in the search terms in a tool like Google, you're going to get, you ready for this? 83 million hits on this story. Over. 83 million hits. That's how many places raised the rooftops of their rainforests to tell you that there was one Omicron death in Great Britain. Now, as a general rule, I would teach 
in every story that doesn't mention the person's age or vaccination status or any underlying conditions. None of this is reported. It's known in a system in, like the healthcare system of Great Britain, and you trust me, it's known that it isn't reported. I'm going to guess, best guess, and maybe it'll bear out, maybe we'll never be told. I'm going to guess what they don't tell you is the tell. I'm going to guess, since they won't tell me the age, that it's probably someone who has some age on them. I'm going to guess, too, that we, since we don't know the vaccination status, it's probably someone who's been vaccinated. And I'm going to guess there were also, if not age, underlying conditions. Why would they not tell us the one thing we need to know to operate our lives? Why would they not? Because the one thing we are to do to operate our lives is everything they won't tell us. Get vaccinated and be done with it or boosted, which is soon going to be part of the vernacular, by the way, of fully vaccinated. Anthony Fauci just last week said it is his personal opinion that the booster shot will soon count as the fully vaccinated status of an individual. And I'm not ever really sure why we called it a booster shot in the first place. It's the same exact shot you're getting in your other two doses. It's a third shot is what it is. And I, you know, maybe because they were smart enough to come out and say originally this vaccination is a two-shot process to be fully vaccinated. Maybe they're complying with that original use of language to call it a booster. And I don't want to get caught up on it. I want to get caught up on the media's representation of this. The instantiation of fear and panic. They're all running around as if this is the Spanish Inquisition. Fear and surprise. One person died in the UK and he has to give a speech to the nation Boris Johnson does on that and everyone in every other country has to lead their news with it at least they did this morning and then they went if you were in America to the tornado situation of course where we send our all our prayers and uh, any charitable help we can to those afflicted by and affected by that but in an age well beyond the information age and in an age of public health have we forgotten the part of that word that is public i worry about that with public education too for example we have a superintendent of public instruction in this state we talk about public education it is about educating the public it is about the health of the public should they not be shamed for hiding information from us should, they, should, should it not be seen as shameful? And, and, and should, they, should they even go to print? Should they even go to press when they don't have facts that put the story in its full context or view? There was a time, I don't know, I haven't been in, in, a, in a newspaper or, or cable newsroom in a long time, probably... Yeah, since I left D.C. I used to be in, among them a lot. I haven't been in a long time. But once upon a time, editors would say, we don't have enough to go on. We don't have enough to run with this. 
we need to button down this part of the story or reveal this part of the information. They are here for public news consumption about issues having to do with the way we live our lives or will live our lives. And if Great Britain is retrenching and tamping down again on the mobility of their society over one death, don't you want to know the conditions and causes that caused that death and the circumstances? Because I will tell you, with the fascination we have with all things European, whatever Great Britain's doing will not be ignored by, I'll say it again, public health officials here. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Yes, yeah, someone, uh, well, more than someone, a few people during the break were saying you can do that thing with COVID when they don't tell you the age or the vaccination status of the person who died and then drawing deductions. You can do that with race and crime reporting, too. Yes, you most certainly can. You can even eliminate the criminal aspect and just, you know, identify a car as a problem. You know, not even a human being behind the wheel, though it wasn't a uh, self-driving car. I am. I started over the weekend reading a new book by John McWhorter. I don't know how many of you are familiar with him. He's a uh, professor of linguistics at uh, Columbia University. Someone I've I've actually known him for a great many years. Back when he was, I think he was at uh, UCLA uh, when I first met him. He's an African American. His new book, which is why I say this, why I mention that, his new book is called "Woke Racism: How a New Religion Has Betrayed Black America." And for everything that's been written and said about everything that has confused you with race relations in this country and the charge of racist and what constitutes racism, everything that's confused you, he takes on in this book and explains very well. He creates a thesis here that I had not had not occurred to me, and at least not in the specifics he has. Let me give it to you from page uh, 58. I marked it. America's sense of what it is to be intellectual, moral, or artistic, what it is to educate a child, what it is to foster justice, what it is to express oneself properly, and what it is to be a nation, is being refounded upon religion. The entire woke conversation about race will be understandable to you once you understand the religious aspect of it. We'll be spending some time on this in the days going forward. But think about arguing with the elect in an evangelical religion. That's the problem that has become the new liberation theology take root in America. More on that in the next few days. Until then, thanks for spending some of yours with us today. God bless you all and class dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.